Well, today is a, a special Sunday for us here at Abundant Life Christian Fellowship. Uh, one thing that we like to do as a church uh, is to have people share their grace story. Uh, in other words, th- to have people share how Jesus has come into their life, has rescued them, has brought and is continuing to bring redemption uh, to their life. And this Sunday we get to do that, which is really cool to follow up Resurrection Sunday with one of these stories, right? Uh, It's all about God bringing things to life. Um, Joining us this morning is Eric Robinette. Uh, He's a member of our congregation and just is a fantastic guy. His wife, Rachel, is really special too. And we're so thankful that God saw fit to bring you to Abundant Life Christian Fellowship. And could you, Eric, why don't you uh, tell people how you got connected to our church? Uh, People listening may not know how that even happened. So, Sure, sure. So we, um, I I, uh, had took a job at Akron Children's Hospital. Um, We were moving here from Cincinnati, moving to the Akron area. And uh, found I honestly just had no connection to Maslin, just found a house that we really liked in Maslin. It seemed like a nice town. So uh, bought it, moved to Maslin. And then we were, we were looking for churches and um, we, we took a very uh, informal strategy of just trying churches out that were close to our house. We had kind of concluded that if we Gonna, if I was going to drive all the way to Akron for work, that the one thing we couldn't do was also drive all the way to Akron for church. So we needed somewhere that was local. And so we were just trying out local churches that seemed, you know, like they were, you know, doctrinally reasonably in alignment with our views and all that. And right. I think we drove by, I think we were just driving down Tremont and we drove uh, by Abundant Life. And I, I made some kind of joke like to Rachel, like, oh, that place looks like reasonably non-heretical. We should just try it out. <laughs> and, uh, and we came uh, and visited. And, you know, God's been really good to us. I don't know that he does it this way for everybody for always. But for us, um, pretty much we've always known from the first time we walked in the door, like what church he wanted us to be at when we've had to find churches together. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was just the case at Abundant Life. If um, I think a, a theme of our, our last stop in Cincinnati was really community and yeah. um, and we got a sense of the of a, of a community that exists at Abundant Life that is what, we're, what we were looking for and and maybe a little deeper than you find um, some other places. And so uh, we came and we were that was the end of our church search. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Well, uh, very cool. Glad glad to, God decided to place you with us. It's been awesome. Having you, um, how have you personally, you know, like been getting along with this coronavirus stuff? So, what have you been doing at home when you're not working? What have you and Rachel been uh, keeping yourself busy with? And yeah, just curious to hear about that. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so work, as you can imagine, I'm a pediatric infectious disease doctor. So, so work has been um, crazy, just really Mm -hmm. crazy, and not not um, not crazy with patients, you know, we, we're still as expected have not seen a large number of, of pediatric patients. We actually haven't seen any so far. Um, but, uh, but we want to be prepared. And, and I think, you know, there's tremendous disruptions to the supply chain. There's disruptions to our workforce. Uh, there's a fear, a tremendous amount of fear, um, just among our patients, our employees, our, 
uh, you know, families of the patients, you know, of, of the coronavirus. And um, so we've been working really, really hard to try to adapt to all that. And um, it's been hard, you know, I think for the first um, two or three weeks, you know, things were just really kind of chaotic. And sure. uh, I was working a lot of 12 and 14 hour days and still coming home feeling like I wasn't doing a very good job or wasn't kind of getting anywhere. There's a lot of running in circles because sometimes when you try to do things fast, uh, you find out that you, you, you make a lot of mistakes and you have to go back and read, you do a lot of rework to try to correct those things. And so, so it was a stressful, that was really stressful period, probably the first two or three weeks of this. I think in the last you know, week or two, things have sort of settled down a little bit and kind of back to being able to work more normal hours. I think people are starting to think that this is, hey, this is more of a long-term, you know, thankfully, I think because of the great work that Ohioans have done in following the governor's guidelines, that this is really, uh, we've slowed this epidemic down. And so now mm -hmm. we're thinking about, okay, this is a long-term problem now. How do we deal with this, sure. you know, through to the vaccine? So that's been, for me personally, that's been a relief a little bit yeah. to, to have the processes and the workflow and the hours get a little bit more um, back to normal. I'm sure there'll sure. continue to be disruptions. Um, I think our personal life, it's been interesting. It's been nice to, I think it's been an interesting season to like sort of be forcibly relieved of a lot of the things that you run around and chase after and that you keep yourself busy with. Right. Um, so I think it's been a time that Rachel and I have been able to spend a lot of time together. Um, that we have been able to, you're able to do some reflection on, you know, what are the things that are in your life that are super important and you miss? And what are the things that are in your life that uh, probably take up more time than they, than they need to. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, Rachel, it's been a unique situation for her because she, uh, her, her main, you know, job has, is just a substitute teaching. And so that's gone, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, so she's been working a lot on her art. Um, and I, I think that's been an interesting, you know, experience and how do you stay connected and, you know, stave off loneliness when, you know, I'm working hard, you know, working really, really hard, really long hours and coming home kind of exhausted and she's sort of home sure. by herself. Yeah. You know, how do you navigate that? So it's yeah. been, it's been a, a challenge, but I think there's been some, uh, also some blessings and some learnings that are coming out of this season, which is cool. Right. Right. Um, yeah, that's good. Uh, what, you know, what, ha what has God been showing you guys personally uh, during this coronavirus uh, stuff? Yeah, so I think, um, I think for me personally, uh, you know, it's been a lot about uh, something that I see a lot in my job, but just is really magnified, which is just, you know, recognizing that we don't have the control that we think that we do over yep. the things that happen to us and things that happen with us. And that real sense of, um, that sense of God's sovereignty, but, but, but also I think the, the peace that can come from relying on that sovereignty, from trusting in his goodness and, um, and, uh, you know, trusting in his goodness and trusting in his sovereignty so that we don't have to be in control of everything. You know, we right. don't have to manage everything. We can, you know, we can, we can do what we can and then trust him with the things that we can't do. Yeah, um, and absolutely. I think that that has drawn this into pretty, pretty stark relief um, for, mm. you know, for us. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. and again, I think the, 
the 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 priority thing the yeah the, these are all the things that you know take up your time and now they're gone and yeah. what's really important to you you know in your life absolutely you know i had a life group guys meeting last night right so um and one of the things that i shared with them about is you know for all of us you know i i've been working just as much if not a bit more with with all this going on but what we don't have is, you know, kids baseball and kids activities and evening things. And so we do have more bandwidth right now. And I was talking to my life group guys and I said, uh, you know, getting house projects done. Great. Um, I always have a project going on at my house and I enjoy doing that, but uh, let's not squander this opportunity. You know, we are to grow as disciples of Christ and let's use this time and leverage it for that sake you know mm -hmm. when this is all done uh, let's be able to look back and say you know what i was really able to lean into the lord during that time spend more time with him learn more about him grow in him and i was able to lead my family to do that as well mm -hmm. um so uh yeah I, I, I think it's easy to lose sight of the the benefit that we we have right now with this with yeah. this uh, time. So, yeah. How does your uh, faith, I mean, obviously you're, you're talking a little bit about that, about re in regards to how your faith impacts your work as a doctor, but um, can you, can you speak more about that? H how does that impact your work and how you view your role? Sure. I mean, I enjoy what I do in the sense that I, I like, solving puzzles and i like it when i get to cooperate with god and the systems that he's created to make kids as well yeah um and to help people but i look forward to having a different job in heaven yep you know? like let's just say that like there are times that i walk into this hospital and just simply wish that it wasn't necessary I bet. You know, that we didn't need to have this place mm -hmm. and um and so I think that this just uh, this just brings that into even sharper relief, I would say. I mean, we've been a little lucky in that um, this is not a disease that severely affects children. So that's been fortunate in my own personal sphere. But I know we see it, you know, all people are precious. And, you know, it just happens that I don't care for the elderly. But there's a lot of really precious people's grandmas and grandpas and moms and dads and aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters who were dying. And it's, it's a tragedy, you know, it's just yeah. tragic. I remember having a day, um, maybe a week or 10 days ago when we were kind of, things were kind of ramping up in New York and I just was kind of overwhelmed with grief. Like I had a hard yeah. time sleeping and it wasn't for anybody that I know. It was just for the fact that there was a whole bunch of people that were going to die, you know, in the next right. week that, um, you know, because of this, this disease. And I think it brings that, into sharper relief for me. And I think, um, you know, uh, I, I think how my faith affects me the most in my job is I, I'm a big fan of uh, Revelation 21. And he talks about, mm. behold, I'm making all things new. And mm. uh, there will be no more tears and no more crying yeah. and just the sovereignty of God and the healing of the new heaven and the new earth oh. um, is just so powerful to me. And I think that's how it affects my work, right? That, um, that uh, you know, I had Rachel make me a little sign from my desk that just says that death is defeated, right? Because, mm. because we, 
we all we are losing that battle every day you know we fight it and we have temporary victories but ultimately we're all losing that battle and so the reminder that death has no grip on us um as believers and that yep. what we do um has eternal value it doesn't just end you know with somebody's death or it doesn't just end with the, the tragedies that you know we do experience in this broken world so i think that's how it affects my you know my work the most is i don't I, I do feel like there'd be a part of like, what are we, what am I doing here? I guess a sense of maybe a little bit of futility um, to, mm. to all of this. If I didn't have the hope that I have in Christ. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And uh, what a hope we have, right? As you talk about God making all things new, new heavens, new earth. Um, I just, there's so many wonderful and beautiful aspects of this world as um, sick as it is. And as um, it's, it's, been subjected to futility and decay and and the world is groaning right for redemption but there's so many wonderful beautiful things about this world even though it's under that curse of sin i just can't imagine how amazingly beautiful and wonderful it's going to be when god when jesus returns and lifts the curse yeah. and uh it will be actually functioning as it was always designed to function and we in resurrected bodies will be functioning as we were always designed to be and i love cs lewis's um uh, take on that that when that comes it will be you know the first day that we're there will be the start of a new chapter of uh, uh, of, of our story that each chapter will only just get better and better, you know, forever. And so unexpressible joy, it's going to be amazing. I look forward to that as well. And it is the hope that helps us cope um, in the present time. Right? right. And I think it helps us, it helps inform and influence how we live now. So if right. we, if we live now with the future in mind, you know, as you're working with your children, you know, as a doctor who are, you know, having, you know, serious disease issues, you know, what would it look like for God's kingdom to come fully uh, in the midst of this kid's life and their family's life, right? So, and that, that plays into how you treat them as a doctor, I'm sure, how you communicate with them, the love, the humility, the compassion that you uh, share with them and then also um when you're able to actually bring about you know god uses you to bring about healing uh yeah so i i think there's a way to live now um with the future in mind i, guess I agree what I'm i agree to yeah say. yeah I, agree. I think you know sin and death cast a long shadow over all of the goodness that is still in this world you know mm -hmm. and um you know, that goodness is all still there. And I think mm. the light of Christ reveals that goodness out from under the shadow of sin and death. Mm, you know? Yeah, so, for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. I am so glad that we have people like you, uh, healthcare people like you that are working and loving people and um, being outposts of the kingdom of God in the midst of this, you know, dark uh, world. So yeah, it's fantastic. Um, so let me ask you this. Uh, so obviously you're a man of faith and I'm just curious to hear how that all came about for you. Um, and so can you, can you take us back to your family and growing up in childhood and what were your parents like in regards to Jesus and the Christian faith? Um, tell us about that. 
so um yeah so my my parents um my mom was a believer probably from childhood okay. but kind of a uh undeveloped believer kind of a an immature believer never was really plugged into connected to a really um good church my dad was not um a believer when i was very little um and so i think my earliest memories of christianity were my dad sleeping in and my mom mm-hmm. taking me to church um and uh and then um when i was in uh third grade uh my dad got a job transfer to a small town in wisconsin where you know we didn't know anybody um, my mom had been previously working part-time and wasn't able to, to continue that work, you know, that was there. The, the, the job was really hard for my dad because again, you know, you know, nobody and, and small towns are, are different. You know, we, we were, fr- I was born and raised in Columbus. My parents are both born and raised in Columbus. So I was home and, you know, it's just a different feel and, uh, it's hard when you're an outsider and, um, and so that was a incredibly stressful time for my parents and um, for our family in general. I had a really tough time my first year in school there. Mm. Um, and kind of through that process, um, my mom found a church uh, that was meeting in the, uh, in the labor temple. You know, it was an evangelical free church. It was meeting in the labor, like the, the cigarette smoke stained, you know, community room of the labor temple. Um, but it was a really great group of believers and somehow, you know, through the, the stress that they'd gone through, convinced my dad to come and, uh, shortly thereafter he accepted Christ. So I think my, my, you know, elementary and middle school years, uh, was just kind of, uh, in a Christian home, but two kind of pretty young believers as parents, um, in terms of their maturity and watching them grow through that process. So I, I remember accepting Christ as a child. I think, you know, I don't know if any of you uh, or your kids listened to Adventures in Odyssey back in the day, but I did. And uh, they would always do a presentation of the gospel. um, And I remember, you know, at the end of the program, and I remember just like always hearing the presentation of the gospel and thinking it was for other people. And then one day I heard the presentation of the gospel and I was like, oh my gosh, this is for me too. You know, I have to do this. Yeah. And so I, so I did. So I accepted Christ, you know, in that, and that that's always been what I remember as my salvation experience. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Um, well, I was bap- Go ahead. Let me, let me just ask you this. Yeah. I, I, what, how would you explain accepting Christ? Like, what does that mean? Well, so, um, how I would explain it now is maybe just very simply in the terms that I understood it then, which was that, I'm a sinner and, you know, I am in deserving of punishment because of my sin and that the punishment for sin is death and that Jesus um, actually died on the cross to pay the penalty that I owed, that Mm. he offered that freely to me as a gift um, and that all I have to do is accept the gift of his, um, of his forgiveness, um, and his atonement for my sin. And I probably wouldn't have used all that fancy language, but I think I understood probably at, you know, fourth or fifth grade, I understood all the elements of that, you know, that I've done wrong. I deserve punishment. Uh, Jesus paid my punishment and, um, I just have to accept that and that it's something that he offers freely to me. So that was kind of the process I went through. Yeah. And that's one of the things I love about the gospel, right? Um, and that's a, 
key component of what the gospel message, uh, the broader component is the renewal of the cosmos, right? Right. right. So there is this, uh, um, there is this uh, micro aspect of the gospel, then there's this macro aspect, yeah. right? So, but um, what I love about the micro aspect of the gospel, the individual salvation of people is that uh, elementary kid can understand it um, it's shallow enough for that, but yet it's simultaneously deep enough that scholars spend their whole career um, <laughs> right. investigating it, uh, learning it, um, right. uh, seeing, you know, finding more and more gold nuggets as they dig and, and you know, cause it's such a treasure. So yeah, yeah. what a, what a great, uh, uh, yeah, I love how you explain that so concisely and clearly. So you went on to say you were baptized then. Um, yes, I remember I, I, was, I was baptized um, when I was about 12 in that church that we were at in Wisconsin. And then, um, you know, we moved back to um, Ohio after about five years there. And I would say like just a, a summary of the rest of my like childhood and young adulthood as far as like Christianity was, you know, I was just kind of raised in a Christian home. I've always believed yep. in Jesus. I've never like walked away from my faith or anything like that. But I've gone through, I think over the years, many of the normal, you know, trials and tribulations that believers go through um, and, and seen periods where my faith was, you know, pretty stagnant and kind Mm. of uh, you know, a more peripheral part of, of how I looked at life and, and, and gone through periods of really deep growth where I really clung, clung on to my faith. And I think, you know, we'll probably get through some of that detail as you ask me some yeah. more questions. But absolutely, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, tell tell us about um, what were when you tell us this. You know, about a season where you experienced a lot of growth, and and I mm-hmm. am curious to hear uh, what were the main factors in in that season. So, who like what circumstances um, did you find yourself in? Because God often speaks and works through our circumstances. He often speaks and works through people he places in our life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, often he works through, you know, pain and suffering um, mm-hmm. to mold us and shape us into his likeness. But I'm just curious, like, explain, you know, tell us about a, a season of growth for you and what were the factors present that led to that? Sure. So I think I think the... Uh, there was a, a relatively recent season that I would talk about, which was um, Rachel and I were uh, separated for a couple of years. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it, some of that is really her story to tell. So I think, you know, we can, we can have other venues to go into all the details, but, um, but, you know, the, the simple piece from my perspective was that we were separated and it wasn't, it was not by my choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, now I fully uh, own that my choices contributed to me winding up in that situation, <laughs> but, right. uh, but I desperately uh, did not want to be separated, did not want to be divorced. And, um, and there was a point uh, fairly early on in that where um, that was completely out of my control, hmm. right? Like I had done everything, everything that I could do, to to bring about reconciliation it was it was too little and too late and i was slow picking up on you know that and in 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 taking care of the pieces that i needed to 
uh, might have been able to prevent that. Um, but mm. uh, but at the time, I had done everything that I could, and it was totally out of my control. And um, and so I was in Cincinnati. I had no friends there. I had no family there. I was, I was in a brand new job mm. um, that I didn't really know anybody. It was hard. Um, mm. You know, it was a it was a, a big step up in responsibility and and skill that was required. Didn't have a church, um, and then and you, here I am. And you didn't have your wife. And I didn't have my wife, and just facing this like total disaster. Um, you know, as far as it, it it was to me, and uh, and so I I reached out to this church, um, this pastor that I just got from like a friend of a friend name kind of thing. You know what I mean? Oh, wow. Like, hey, you know this guy, and this pastor is like, oh yeah, I'll meet you at the bookstore and we'll talk. You know, and we talked and. And, and he said, you know, I said, what, what should I, like, what else, I can come to church, but like, what else should I do? And it was a hopeless situation in terms of reconciling the marriage. He, you know, he, he, he gave good advice, said you should just wait and pray and, you know, stick to what you believe as far as that goes. But, um, you know, he said, but I, I think you, you should get plugged in with one of our community groups, which was kind of their version of life groups. Yeah. And, uh, and so I went you know, I went to this community group, didn't know anybody. That's not my strong suit. Like I really struggle with meeting new people. Hmm. Um, and so it was very, it was very scary. Like I remember, you know, like, uh, a, a gray rainy night in November showing up at this house that I kind of had a hard time finding and people that I didn't know. And you're knocking oh, on the man. door and you're like, Oh man, like, I don't know any of these people <laughs> except for I've exchanged what am I one doing? email with them. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, went to this oh. community group and then, and then the, to layer onto that, I'm in this incredibly vulnerable situation where I'm like, right. I don't know any of these people. I, I don't really super want to share this vulnerable piece of yeah. me, but at the same time, like it's kind of hard to hide, right? Like I've got a wedding ring on my finger. There's no spouse here with me, you right. know? Um, so it's not something that I can just keep secret. Um, and, uh, and so I shared that, you know, my situation the first night that I was there and, um, was just amazed at the um, over the over the coming weeks and months. Just amazed at the way that this church and this community group adopted me, and the kindness and the compassion that they showed to me, and the way that they supported with me. And you know, ultimately, you know, probably still some of my best, most lifelong friends, mm -hmm. you know, came out of that that experience. But um, yeah, I, I think it was a really uh, different experience of community that I had in that church because, because for the first time, probably I was truly vulnerable. Yeah. You know, and I think that, um, I didn't realize I was sort of being invulnerable before that. Sure. Um, but I learned, I think that you can't really have the community is not complete without vulnerability. Yep. Um, and so that was just an incredibly, rich experience of community and the church. Um, and sure. then, uh, a really rich experience, uh, of God, um, sustaining me in something that was just totally hopeless. Like it was, right. it was as hopeless. It was as hopeless of a situation vis-a-vis -vis my marriage that you could possibly imagine. Wow. And all I could do was pray and wait, you know, wow. and there's like mm. all this stuff of like, maybe I should just move on, hmm. but I don't want to, right. but, but I do want to, you know what I mean? Like I, I oh, want to yeah. be married, but 
but I also don't want to be in this state of limbo and sure. nothing is happening and it doesn't seem like anything's going to happen. Oh man. And so just walking through that process with God and, and yeah. him very clearly giving the message of just wait and trust me and wow. wait and trust me and wait and trust me. And that was like, like two years before oh there was goodness, any yeah. like serious movement of being oh in, that, in that situation. So yeah. anyway, wow. I'll pause there in case you want to direct yeah. us. But Well, I mean, obviously you found yourself in a pit, right? And largely uh, um, to get yourself out of it, like there wasn't much hope, you know, outside of God, right? Well, there, there, it sounds like there wasn't any. Um, and the hope of reconciliation seemed like a... Um, based on what you're saying, it just seemed like, you know, it was a long shot at best. Right. So, um, you, when you, when you're in that pit and there is no movement and you are waiting and you have those feelings of, you know, do I just end this, you know, or, you know, just leave it for good, you know, move on that sort of thing. And you're struggling with those questions. Did you have any, did you struggle with God and his goodness? I think a lot of people, when they get into these really difficult um, situations where they're suffering, um, not all people, but some people, you know, can really struggle with God's goodness. And, you know, why are you allowing this suffering? You know, those why questions and just really doubting, I guess, uh, that he is faithful and that he's in it with you. Did you experience any of that or, or not really? I... I did, although I, I, I've noticed an interesting thing about myself, which is that I think sometimes I struggle more with God's goodness and abundance than I do in, in, in suffering. You know, like, I'm not going to say that I didn't struggle at all with God's goodness, but like I, for a variety of reasons, really experienced a presence of God and a goodness mm. of God to me in that suffering that wow. was like, unlike anything really I had experienced in my life up until then. Wow. Um, and, and I think, you know, honestly, sometimes in abundance, it's, it's almost easier to fall into the, yeah, I have this good thing, but I want this other good thing that I uh, am going to go get for myself instead yeah. of, you know, what God wants for me. Right. Um, but yeah, but I did. I mean, I don't want to like completely gloss it over. I, I do remember very clearly, like very early on asking God, why, why did you let this happen to me? Like, why, why did you like, why would you let this happen to me? And um, and I sensed and I don't know how to say that, you know, spiritually what this means, but I sensed right. that his response to me was very clearly because I loved you too much to leave you where you were. Mm. Mm. And I hung, I, hung, I hung on to that, you know, through that whole time that, that there was, that he was doing something, right? Mm. That there was a hope at the end of all this that was going to be worth it. And I think that it became, as I could see the way he was, was sustaining me, you know, day by day, every day through that period. Um, the friends that he brought and the community that he brought. And, you know, just when I would get to the moment of being like really, truly despairing about there being any hope of this being reconciled, right. he would let a little glimmer of hope break through that. Yes, there was something that he was working on yeah. Rachel's side of the equation, even though I, that was opaque to me, right. um, that, that he would let me get a little glimpse that he was working. And, um, 
And so I think he sustained me in that way. But I, I, I wouldn't say that I never doubted or I never struggled. I think it was, it was just sort of this constant conversation that I'm having of this is really horrible, God, why are you letting yeah. this happen? And then he was right. talking to me and, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, lifting me up in all kinds of different ways. Um, right. But yeah, I don't know if that answers yeah. your question. No, I think that's great. And, and I think um, in those situations when we're in a valley, right, and it's dark and, a flashlight faith is so important, right? Yeah. Um, because you're just obeying the light that you have. And then when you obey that light, then God has a way of revealing a little bit more light, right? And so you take the next step. And then as you take that next step, more light comes. And it's that flashlight faith, right? Um, yeah, you know, and there's I, a lack of control that I had that sure. is both incredibly terrifying but also incredibly freeing. Right. Yes. And I think that yes. was kind of that weird, that strange, never had this before experience of like, Oh my gosh, this is completely out of my control. And also, Hey, this is completely out of my control. So like, I don't have to control it, you know, like yeah, I can really yeah. trust the Lord with this. Yeah. You know, when uh, God's sovereignty is, is meant to be a very comforting truth, right? That uh, if we know the character of God and who he is, is our good father and how much he loves us then, you know, if that can become real to our hearts, we wouldn't want total control of our life. You know, like we would, we know how uh, faulty we are and how sinful we are. And man, yeah. So, um, but yet we struggle with not having control all at the same time. So no, that's good. Um, So in this process of waiting, eventually uh, there came breakthrough there, Mm -hmm. you know, breakthrough happened. Um, Obviously, you and Rachel are are still together, and yes. we are so thankful and grateful and blessed by your relationship at our church. And she is just fantastic in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, so tell me about the breakthrough and what were the circumstances that led to that, and how God, uh, yeah, worked. Well, you know, it was a really interesting thing. And again, I'll, I'll let Rachel tell her her piece of the story in the right in the right venue because it's really an amazing story that I couldn't couldn't even do justice to Um, right but I can tell you my perspective on it which was um she she basically had given up on the relationship and wanted to move on and in a variety of ways God simply obstructed her from getting a divorce Um, so there was, you know, this really weird thing, but in Ohio law, you actually have to give cause unless both of you agree to the divorce. Hmm. Um, and there's a set of causes in Ohio law and, uh, she looked at him and thought that it would be really immoral to accuse me of any of those things. Wow. Because none of them were true. And so in that case, you have to wait for a year. You have to be separated for a year. Um, if you don't have cause. And so she just decided to wait till the year was up. And in that year, I think God worked on her heart and moved her from a place of like, I definitely want a divorce to, I'm not sure what I want. And that inertia just kind of held her while he, he worked on her heart and called her back from Mm. some stuff that, you know, and, 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 called her back from some stuff and I think spoke a lot of healing into her, her life that she had needed um, mm. and, and fought off a lot of, you know, lies that had gotten entrenched. Um, and, and, and meanwhile, he was preparing me to be, um, to be a, a, a different, you know, husband um, 
and a different, you know, uh, partner. And um, so um, after, I think it was after about two years, um, maybe a year and a half, she kind of decided that she wanted to give reconciliation and healing a try. You know, I don't think that she wasn't like, committed to like, for sure, this is, you know, the solution, but that she was willing to come back to Cincinnati and give it a try mm-hmm. and, uh, and do counseling. And, mm-hmm. um, so we got, you know, God led us to some really, really fantastic, um, marriage counselors who, mm-hmm. um, and, and also personal counselors. So it's kind of a unique counseling situation where, we each had a, a counselor and then those two counselors, we would do all four of us do a counseling session for our marriage counseling. Wow. It was a, uh, it was a really effective and cool way to do that. And just through that helping us, um, I think heal some of the wounds that we had carried into our marriage from before marriage that set up a lot of our friction and, and struggles and giving us tools to navigate, you know, new difficulties and correcting I think some false core beliefs that we both had about ourselves and about marriage um and and building a new foundation for that relationship so after um I think it was about a year of counseling before I think we would say we were like fully reconciled in the sense that we were both like completely recommitted to we're married and we're staying married and you know this is this is not a provisional you know thing Right. So I think all told, it was probably two and a half years. Um, wow. We're kind wow. of walking through that process. Yeah. What a, what a valley, right? Yeah. Oh, man. Um, you know, there is, the truth is written all over scripture, right? That God takes what the enemy, mean, you know, means for evil and he uses it for good. Um, what is the good that, that has been produced in your marriage and in your own, you know, uh, soul from, from this very difficult thing that surely the enemy meant for your destruction. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think one of the things that I, I start with that's just really amazing is we are married exclusively because of the grace of God. Right. Like there is nothing that I did that made it so that we have the marriage that we have today. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean to say that we didn't do a lot of things or that there weren't choices that I had to make, but like I have no illusions about my la- entire lack of control over producing the outcome that was produced. I mean, yeah. our reconciliation is an absolutely a miracle that um that occurred only because of the grace of god and um i guess outside of my salvation i don't know that i'd ever had anything like that in my life right Mm. that i could say entirely disclaim responsibility for and just say like this is a this is a testament only to god's goodness and nothing of my own um and maybe that sounds prideful in the sense that like that's actually true of everything in our lives. Um, But, uh, but I don't think I'd ever had anything like that stark. And so I think, you know, how that affects me. I mean, I think our story, like I, I want to tell our story, you know, for one thing, because, um, because I think God offers that hope of redemption and reconciliation to everybody. I think there's so many people that go through marriage struggles and 
you know, not everybody gets that redemptive grace that we got, right? Not everybody's marriage is rescued from the brink of divorce. Some people go through divorce, you know, and Mm. I don't know that I would have had the ability to understand what those folks have gone through had I not gone through what I went through. And I I don't know why, like, I don't know why God picked us. That's why I say it's entirely grace. I don't know why God picked us to, to pull us back from the brink and why he doesn't pick other people. But what I know is that I, what I walk through, I think helps me understand the agony that people that go through that go, go through and just want to share our story of the hope that, you know, God can bring out of a hopeless um, situation as far as, you know, a marriage goes Um, between Rachel and I, like, I think that that what God said to me of, I loved you too much to leave you where you were is, um, is true has proven true right that he didn't leave us where we were right that Mm -hmm. i think we were both in a place of spiritual stagnation um marital stagnation i think uh Mm -hmm. emotionally disconnected um Mm -hmm. looking to uh other things to uh to numb the pain that we experienced rather than having uh, a whole relationship, uh, a relationship that where we were connected physically and emotionally and spiritually. Um, and so I think that through that process, God has given us a relationship that's far more whole with each other. And I think for myself that you can't have that kind of a whole relationship with your spouse without having a more whole relationship with yourself. Hmm. Right. So I think I found through the counseling that we went through and things like that, that um, I was a very, I had, was very comfortable with my intellectual self, um, and very uncomfortable with my emotional self, oh. um, that, and, and I think that affected how I related to my spiritual self, right? Because my spiritual self was just very intellectual and not emotional. Sure. Um, and that, that, that then played out in my relationships with, with Rachel and my relationships with others. And so that was like a totally transformational experience to wow. go through that. Um, yeah, through that experience. Yeah. Just, just let me chime in here. I, I, this is critical. I think, um, so many people view emotions as these horrible things that are like a part of the fall. Um, in reality, it's, our emotions are an aspect of what it means to be fully human. Right. And of course they can go haywire and they can misinform us. And, but, we shouldn't just because there's that potential that they could mislead us. We shouldn't dismiss them completely. Right. We should learn how to relate to them and they can actually allow us. Then if we know how to be emotionally present, they can allow us to relate to people and have compassion for people and empathy for people in such an amazing way. But I feel like especially the generation before us was really heavily you know, it's about the intellect. It's about good reasoning. It's uh, you don't let your emotions get in the way of good thinking. And, and so a lot of men, especially just really cut themselves off uh, from that part of them. And they're not fully human when they do that. Right. We see yeah. Jesus had the full range of emotions. Right. Um, and so it's such an important thing that we're, we learn, you know, yeah. how to deal with those. So I, I yeah. love hearing you say no, that. I- 
And actually, that was one of the things that I think attracted us to your preaching at Abundant Life is I heard that theme in your preaching. And I don't know mm. that I even would have recognized it if I hadn't gone through the counseling that I had gone through just sure. before we came. But yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And I think, I think absolutely as men, um, the only acceptable emotion in our society is anger, which yeah. is a super like rudimentary emotion. And we're disconnected from our emotions. And you know, yes, our emotions can lead us astray, but so can our intellect, right? Right. So, like, and Holocaust, we don't just throw that out. <laughs> right. The Holocaust was one of the most intellectually brilliant mass murders in human history, right? I mean, it was, it was, uh, you know, just basic compassion would have precluded that from happening, but the right. intellect drove, you know, and so both can lead us unbelievably astray. Mm -hmm. Um, but you, that we serve an emotional God, right? Mm -hmm. Like God clearly articulates that he, he, he has anger. He has joy. Like mm -hmm. you said, Jesus experienced the full range of emotions and it wasn't only his human aspect, right? It was also mm -hmm. his God aspect, right? Like yeah. the, the emotions that we have are part of the Imago Dei. Yeah. And, um, so I think cutting ourselves off from that part of ourselves is just incredibly, um, hurtful. And I would say as a, as a man, I think you brought that up. I do think it's a, a bigger challenge in our culture for men. Um, the emotions are not welcomed. Um, yep. And um, I think it's incredibly disconnecting for our marriages because yes. that emotional connection is something that we all thirst for, right? We all yep. thirst for it, but we're incapable. So our wives are thirsting for it. Um, yes. and we're just incapable of offering it to them. Yep. Um, because we haven't learned to do, like our, our emotional muscles are puny. Like we have no emotional development to be able to access those emotions, much less share them. Um, so that was a transformative, that was probably the fundamental transformative process for changing Rachel's and my relationship was me developing enough emotional capacity within myself to be able to share my emotions with her. Right. Um, I can vouch, I mean, for your development in that area, um, just as I've interacted with you and as we talk, uh, discuss ministry things and how certain people may be feeling, I think you've had such wonderful insight into, well, this person may be feeling, you know, this way. And uh, yeah, so obviously God has redeemed that part of you and has allowed you to really lean into the emotional aspect of your your humanness. Uh, so I am grateful, grateful for that. I think it is huge for a marriage relationship, for sure. Um, I've sat down with husbands that uh, the number one reason that their marriage isn't good, um, from what I can tell, is because their lack of emotional intelligence, and it's destroying their marriage. And, and, um, and it really, it's because they didn't have it modeled for them, right? Like their father um, had a lack of emotional intelligence. And so it's just been passed on. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's so it's so huge. And, and when I hear you say that, Shane, and I just want to say this really clearly, since I yeah. have this opportunity to say it, like the, the verse that echoes in my mind is, and that is what some of you were, right? Like mm -hmm. that is who I was. Like I was that yeah. person. And I'm still learning and I'm still growing, but I'm just, I'm just here to say that like, for those of you that are struggling with that, like there is hope, like God absolutely. can absolutely uh, intervene and change that. And you can learn how to do that and you can access those emotions and it's not bad, like, because that's <laughs> the other piece is what we've been taught is not just to not access our emotions. What we've been taught is to 
that when we accidentally access our emotions, then we should feel shame. We should feel right? shame. So yep. we not only walled them off, but we've then locked them up in a prison of shame. Yeah. And, uh, and there's freedom from that. So I'm just here to tell that to the men that are walking through that, that there is freedom from that. Yeah, for sure. Eric, uh, I could keep talking to you for probably another two hours, and I had a whole list of questions that uh, we never even got to, but I trust that the Holy Spirit is working and leading us <laughs> this yes. morning. And uh, But I think, you know, some, some takeaways is, you know, the, that I heard from you, if I were to mention yeah. some of those, um, the need for Christian community, right? We're going to be talking about that. Uh, next Sunday, as we head back into our sermon series, Engage, we're going to be talking about engaging God through com community. And so that was a key piece of your, of God redeeming you is working through his people in his, his community to love you where you are at and to help you come out of the pit. But you made a choice, a, a courageous choice to engage it. And you made the courageous choice to be vulnerable, right? And so, you know, I think the, the old adage is true that we're only as sick as our secrets, right? Like, I think there's some real truth to that. Um, and also then, too, you know, the, the transformation that you were uh, able to experience through counseling, right? Which takes humility, which takes effort. But you saw God doing the heavy lifting in this, and he allowed you to... Uh, really connect and understand more the emotional aspect of who you are as a human being made in the image of God who is emotional, right? And that has really helped uh, with the marriage piece. Um, also, you know, the mention of having flashlight faith when you're in the pit, right? Just obeying the light that you've been given and, uh, and trusting that more light will come. You know, it makes me think of the Israelites in the wilderness, right? Manna was there for that day. They had to trust that new manna would be there for the next day. And that's, I mean, one of the most difficult things we need to do, but yet we need to do it. And then this idea of God's sovereignty, um, that uh, our control is largely an illusion, right? Like we're not nearly in as much control as we think we are, um, but that should give us peace because God is, and he is a wonderful, amazing, loving God. And so that should give us great rest. And so I'm hoping that if anybody is in a pit right now, they are encouraged by your story. And I honestly think, this is what I'm thinking, we need to have you back on. I, I don't know when, but there's more, there's more I want to talk to you about. And um, I just love you. I, I, don't, I don't know what else I can say, but I just have such a brotherly love for you. And um, so glad you're a part of our church. L let me pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for Eric, and thank you that he was willing to share openly and honestly um, about his grace story, the story that you are writing in his life. Thank you that you uh, have loved him and that you have not forsaken him, that you have led him as he even went through uh, quite a valley in his marriage. Lord, thank you that you are a God of the peaks and the valleys. And Lord, thank you for the redemption that you're working in his marriage. And we pray that uh, their marriage would grow stronger and stronger with each passing day. And they'll be able to continue to shout your praises and, and glorify your name as they share that story of redemption. Um, Lord, thank you that you brought them to our church. We are so blessed to have them in our family. It's in Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Amen.